بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد My dear brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته so tonight's community discussion is on the topic of Islamophobia. And as I begin this discussion, um, I need to say thank you to two main organizations and two people from within those organizations. The first organization is the National Council of Canadian Muslims and their public uh, spokesperson, Sister Amira Al-Gawabi, was very helpful in my preparation uh, of this presentation. And likewise, we have the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council, uh, whose representative is Brother Mustafa Farouk in Edmonton. Now this is something I didn't know before I started preparing this, but in the province of Alberta, we actually have an Islamophobia hate crime hotline that you can call this uh, hotline and report your incident. Here's something even more interesting. On a daily basis, they're getting at least one phone call in the province of Alberta, subhanAllah. From March until now, on a daily basis, they're almost getting every single day at least one phone call reporting a hate crime. So those are two organizations that, again, I would like to thank for their uh, help in preparation for this. Now, why are we having this community discussion? Starting off with Calgary itself, we have two definite confirmed incidents that were clear Islamophobic hate crimes. The first of them was the Queensland Musalla that was attacked and it was vandalized uh, with several very disturbing things. Number one, someone had taken a translation of the Quran, torn some of the pages out, burned them, and left them inside the mosque. And then number two, there were other hateful messages that were left inside the musalla itself. So talking about you know, how Muslims are just taking resources, they're not contributing, and other inflammatory things as well. So that happened at the Queensland musalla. That's after all the vandalism and the damage that took place. Number two, we had the incident at the University of Calgary where across the university there was plastering of um, posters that you know I feel shy and hesitant to even share the contents of but at the very least just to say they were uh, extremely disturbing. Then we have a third incident as of now it hasn't been confirmed if it's a hate crime or an Islamophobia crime or not but it, Personally, it's, it's leaning towards that, and that is the attack of the, the Northwest Musalla, where the glass was broken. Now, it is possible this wasn't a hate crime, but it happened during the same period of time, so there's also possibility that it was. Now, this is just in the city of Calgary. You move up north to Edmonton, and Edmonton has been even much, much worse than this. On a regular basis, almost weekly, for the past several weeks, across the city, various flyers have been posted. The most recent one was a disturbing one where they had Muhammad uh, وسلم, who is wanted right, as, a, as, as a criminal and they accused him of obviously very, very terrible things. So this is in Edmonton itself. Now you go across Canada and things are even getting much, much worse. In fact, in 2016, it has been the worst uh, year for Islamophobia attacks and the year isn't even over yet. We'll be talking about some statistics later on. So what I want to begin this discussion with is number one, where does this Islamophobia stem from? Meaning, Islamophobia has to stem from some sort of belief system. So what is triggering this belief system to call people to act in this manner? Number one is that they believe that Islam is a monolith, meaning that all Muslims are exactly the same. So the problem over here is that they take an extremely small minority uh, of Muslims that identify themselves as ISIS or uh, Al-Qaeda or Shabab or any other organization and when they see this on the media they say Muslims are a monolith, they're all exactly the same, they're all out to get us, they're all out to destroy us. Now we know this for a reality that even looking at this very Musalla we have at least you know 20 to 30 countries uh, being represented over here. That's just in this Musalla. You look at a worldwide perspective and Muslims are in like over a hundred different countries, subhanAllah. So Muslims are definitely not a monolith, even just by looking at ethnicity. You break that down into culture, into language, into preferences, and we're extremely diverse. So it's very, very unfair to take one small segment of the Muslim community and paint them all with the same brush. Number two, this is a, a very, very funny one, and I'll talk about that in some detail, that Muslims like to be isolated. They like to live in ghettos. 
And this is uh, sometime earlier this year. Stephen Emerson, who considers himself a, um, you know, a top-notch scholar or you know, resource on the Muslim community, he came on Fox News and he reported two absolutely ludicrous things. Number one, that the city of Paris has no go zones. And those no go zones are pockets in the city where non-Muslims are not allowed. And the second one was even more horrendous, where he said the whole city of Birmingham, England, was Muslim and non-Muslims feel afraid to enter that city. The ex-Prime Minister of England, David Cameron, he says, I was eating my porridge as I heard this and I nearly choked. I thought to myself, this must be an April Fool's prank, right? So this was openly reported. So what this is showing, this sort of, uh, of portrayal, is that there is that belief system that Muslims want to live amongst themselves and they don't want to welcome Muslims, uh, non-Muslims. Now, there's two parts to this. Number one, as a community for the most part, I do believe we are very reserved. That we will not openly interact with our non-Muslim counterparts, right? How many of us go to school, go to work, and how many of us will interact with our non-Muslim counterparts? Either by going out to lunch and dinner, inviting them to our houses, going to their houses, and so on and so forth. How many of us are actually a part of it? So there's some element of truth to it. But even, let's just say it is extremely true that Muslims are like that. They're very reserved and you know, they don't like to interact too much. That doesn't make us isolationists, right? We're not people that like to live in isolation. We're out and about in schools, out and about in work, out and about in, you know, um, even in the public sphere. You go to cafes, you go to restaurants, you'll see Muslims everywhere. Even you go to the theater, you go to cinema, you see Muslims everywhere. Right? So from that perspective, they're still out and about and they interact in the public society, just not an intimate and personal level. Number three, the claim that Islam is a religion of violence. And again, this has been uh, on, on the more recent front with the you know, uh, rise of, of groups like ISIS, that Muslims get accused of violence. Now from a practical standpoint, let's just look at homegrown terrorism as an example. Right? The census shows that there's close to a, mis a million Muslims in Canada. So we're just talking about the Canadian context. CSIS reported in October that there are less than 150 Muslims that have traveled overseas to join extremist groups. Okay, So 150 out of a million. You're getting 0.0001% that are joining extremist groups. Right? So how is it that you take such a small fraction of the population and identify it with that, right? Now, where does this come from? Again, the media. Like any time there's a positive story about the Muslim community, very seldom will it get reported. I'm not gonna say it never gets reported, but seldom will it get reported. Anytime there's something negative, it will definitely get reported, right? As soon as a Muslim person does something, automatically the first question that gets asked, was this an act of terrorism? Whereas you see similar acts portrayed by other, you know, non-Muslims slash Caucasians, and all of a sudden it's like lone wolf, mental health issues, you know, social anxiety, and all sorts of other nonsense that we hear, right? But with Muslims, all of a sudden it has to be religious-based terrorism. Number four, this is perhaps the funniest of them all, that if you actually go to Islamophobic websites, they constantly accuse Muslims of taqiyya, of having two faces, one face for the public and one face for the private. And internally, Muslims are organizing themselves amongst themselves to eventually take over the world, starting with Canada and the United States. And that's what they constantly get accused of. Now, the reason why I find this so hilarious, you know, we have Abdullah doing parking on Fridays every single week, and every single Friday is chaos. Like, we've been praying Jummah for years, yet we still can't even get our parking situation straight. Now, I don't know how we would get together to take over a nation. It just would not be possible. It wouldn't be, you know, Muslims in Canada or United States. Because every single masjid has this problem, subhanAllah. So that's just a parking issue. You, I'll share an even more, you know, story with you. Today, I came to the Musalla after Asr, and I needed to use the bathroom. I went into each and every single bathroom, and every single bathroom is drenched in water. 
I was like, subhanAllah, what is the, the, the problem? Like, we can't even be our keep our bathrooms clean and we're going to take over the world? It's not going to happen. At least not <laughs> with this group of Muslims, subhanAllah. So that claim is extremely ludicrous. Extremely ludicrous. And then the last one, and this is the, the big one. Irresponsible media. This is such a huge component of it. Such a huge component. And I want to share two uh, Canadian news incidents. Number one is McLean's magazine. The front cover, the future belongs to Islam. And this is when the uh, Syrian refugee uh, was, were coming into Canada. This is what they portrayed, that you know, a lot of the Syrian refugees are coming in and they're being brought into Canada and the Muslims are slowly taking over. As if this is a terrible and, and, and bad thing that's going to happen and you know, everything's going to go south for, from here. So that was McLean's magazine. Then you have the Edmonton Sun that talked about Edmonton police working on hijab accommodation in uniform. That was the, the title. And the title doesn't sound that inflammatory. Hijab in accommodation of police uniform, not a big deal. What is the picture they put? A woman in a police officer hat and her face is covered with naqab with only her eyes showing. So again, scaring the population that, hey, as soon as you open up the door for hijab, all of your women across the spectrum are going to start wearing naqab and they're going to be forced into it. And these are just two incidents. And you will find multiple other incidents where the media will report this sort of thing. Now let me share with you insight into this. I attended a media training workshop and in this media training workshop there was a, a profound moment for me where the presenter stated that every day thousands of planes will take off from the airport. Yet the only ones that you will hear of are the ones that crash. Now why is that? Why is the media only reporting, reporting sensationalized journalism? It's because the media has now become a capitalistic profit-bearing entity. It needs to make profit in order to survive. And people do not care about the positive flights that took off. They're more concerned about the ones that crashed. And people buy sensationalized media and reports. And that is why, particularly for the Muslim community, is that anytime something bad happens in our community, it's guaranteed it's going to get out there. Because it is sensationalized and people want to buy that which is sensationalized. So there is fault in it. Now, in terms of countering these uh, reports, actually, uh, sorry, I, I want to share a statistic with you. There was a, a group called Enveronic. In 2016 of this year, they reported that 68% of Muslims in North America are concerned about the way that they are portrayed in the media. That means out of every 10 Muslims, almost seven are concerned. And they had a percentage of like 8% that didn't respond. So you can add an approximately another 4% if you want to split it in half. That 70% of Muslims are concerned about the way that they're portrayed in the media. So it clearly shows that there is a bias in the media that is against Muslims. And it's not just something imaginatory, it is actually real. It is actually real. And we just shared two incidents out there. Now on the other hand, there are media outlets that do uh, report positive media on behalf of the Muslims. But then we fall short over here. And where we fall short is that we do not take the opportunity to thank those media outlets for representing us in a positive light. And that we should encourage them to report more. So anytime we're involved in something positive, we share it with them. If they report it, Alhamdulillah, we should thank them for it. And if they don't report it, then at the very least, say thank you for hearing us out. And perhaps in the future, we can work together. So that is irresponsible media. And the last thing I wanted to share with you in terms of Islamophobia is that there's a new thing that's coming out. Now, I'll share this at the end, but it's leaning towards, inshallah, that Islamophobia will officially become a hate crime. It hasn't become yet, but inshallah, sometime soon, it will officially become a hate crime. Now, the counter-narrative that is coming to this is that Muslims are afraid of Islamophobia because these are valid criticisms against their faith. These are valid criticisms against their faith. So I've given you a summary of the criticisms that have come forth. Now, inshallah, for you yourselves, you can see that these aren't valid criticisms. In fact, when you talk about scrutiny of the religion, the Muslim scholars themselves from within the faith will pick and choose and scrutinize and discuss and come to a conclusion amongst themselves. Like discussion amongst Muslim scholars is constantly taking place, right? So if an outsider's perspective is valid and is welcome, but it is not completely relevant, 
right? Because when you have subject matter, you need subject matter experts to discuss it. Not someone that is from the outside that has nothing to do with the faith, has no experience in the faith, and has no academic background in the faith. So this claim that you know, Islam doesn't welcome Islamophobia because uh, they don't welcome, want criticism, it's completely unfounded. We hate Islamophobia because of the evil that it brings and the discrimination that takes place against Muslims, right? We don't hate it because there's discussion about our faith, right? Of any faith that actively discusses their faith, Islam discusses their, their faith the most in this day and age, right? We're constantly having discussions within our faith. Where do we draw the letter between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, right? That is like one of the main discussions that we're having in this day and age. So that is always welcome. Now, what is the result of this Islamophobia? The result of this Islamophobia and, you know, where this belief system that it's stemming from is that justification now becomes, uh, sorry, this discrimination now becomes justified. What that means is, in order for you to attack someone, you have to paint them as the other, right? When you look at psychology, when someone attacks someone else, either verbally or physically, they have to paint them as the other, meaning that he's not from me. And when you paint them as the other, then those attacks become justified. So Islamophobia actually becomes justified because of these previous reasons mentioned. Now after something becomes justified, it further leads to normalization, where the normal language is very Islamophobic. And you see this throughout history, that you know, before the Holocaust happened, there was a very huge rise in anti-Semitism, right? The Jewish community was heavily, heavily criticized and they were called a whole bunch of terrible things and then the Holocaust happened. So the fact that you know, anti-Semitism became normalized before the Holocaust is a huge learning lesson. That if we allow Islamophobia to become normalized and it's slowly becoming that way, there could be potential ramifications like the Holocaust. And this is something to think about, that how stupid are we as a human race that we're literally allowing history to repeat itself and we're not doing anything against it. So those are the two big ramifications. Now, I want to share some more stuff with you. This is from the Wikipedia page on Islamophobia in Canada. A variety of public opinion research companies, research institutes, think tanks, and social statistic data gatherers, gatherers have at times given credence to the existence of Islamophobia as well as countered attempts to downplay or underestimate it. According to a 2011 Gallup poll, 48% of Canadians believe that Western societies do not respect Muslim societies. In 2013, an Angus Reid poll revealed that 69% of Quebecois people held an unfavorable opinion of Muslims. In the rest of Canada, this view rose from 46% unfavorable in 2009 to 54% in 2013. So 46 to 54 in a span of four years, meaning it grew 8%, 8% uh, until 2013. And then you bring it to 2016, it makes things even worse. In 2014, police forces across the country recorded 99 religiously motivated hate crimes against Muslims, up from 45 in 2012. So in 2012, there were 45 reported hate crimes against Muslims. In 2014, there are 99. Now, this is the scary thing I wanted to bring your attention to. 2016, October. We're talking about one month in the month of October 2016, the NCCM, National Canadian Council of Muslims, has over 50 reported incidents across Canada, right? So 2004, uh, 2014, you had 99, uh, sorry, 2012, you had 45 across Canada. In 2016, in the month of October alone, NCCM has over 50 of them, right? Now here's where things get even more scarier. According to Statistics Canada, two-thirds of hate crimes do not get reported. So that's 50 that have gone reported. That means there's another 100 that have not gone reported in the month of October alone. That's according to Statistics Canada, if you were to, to, to average it out. Now that's something to think about, subhanAllah, that hate crimes against Muslims and Islamophobia is definitely on the rise. Now, what is the bigger unknown problem and picture that we as the Muslim community are heedless of. And that is the industry of Islamophobia. There is a report that I believe is very, very valuable in reading. It's called Fear Inc. 
the roots of Islamophobia, the roots of the Islamophobia network in America. I want you to think about, just take a wild guess, how much money was pumped into the Islamophobia industry from 2001 to 2009. Who wants to take a guess? From 2001 to 2009, how much money was pumped into this industry? <coughs> Anyone want to take a guess? Go ahead. Five million? Five billion. Five billion. Come on, man. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's bad, but it's not that bad. Go ahead. Meaning that money was donated to certain organizations to promote an Islamophobic agenda. Um, I say like two million. Two million? Much, much higher. Go ahead. Ten million. Even higher than that. I'll take one more guess. Go. <laughs> Infinity. <laughs> Sixty-four million. I don't know how you came up with that number, but you're the closest one so far. Forty-two point six million dollars. Forty-two point six million dollars. And people on these payrolls are people like Pamela Geller, right? One of the biggest Islamophobes coming out of the United States of America. 42.6 million from 2001 to 2009. I want you to think about that. Then you move even further from like 2010 to 2016. These numbers have literally doubled and tripled, right? People like Donald Trump, they didn't even need to fund these sort of things. They openly came out in the news and said that Muslims should be banned from the United States of America. Right? And they're openly out saying it. So there's a bigger unknown problem that we as a Muslim community are heedless of, and that is these Islamophobic think tanks are being heavily funded. Heavily, heavily funded. So now our response to this as a Muslim community is, where are our think tanks, and what are we doing to support the Muslim cause in countering Islamophobia? How much money are we actually putting in? Like if there was a fundraiser for the NCCM, how much money would you actually donate? If there was a fundraiser for AMPAC, how much money would you actually donate? And the sad reality is, while these organizations are like literally doing whatever they can to defend our rights and civil liberties, these are some of the causes that collect the lowest amount of funds from fundraisers. That if we were to have a fundraiser for a masjid, you know, alhamdulillah, we're able to get hundreds of thousands of dollars. But you do a fundraiser for these sorts of organizations, there are literally, you know, two or three across the country that are doing things for us, and they can barely get, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Like, I can't remember what it was in Calgary, but I think roughly about 20,000. That's how much they collected. We want to think about that if we're so willing to donate to our masajid, what if a time comes where those masajid get destroyed due to Islamophobia, because we didn't invest in those civil liberties and civil rights lobbyists prior to that? Right? That's a reality to think about. So next time you have money to donate, think about donating towards those causes that will protect the civil rights and liberties of the Muslim community. Now, before we open up the floor for public discussion, I want to conclude with two things. Positives, first of all. This was um, October 27th, which was yesterday, that there was a motion passed on an e-petition sponsored by Liberal MP Frank Bayliss uh, from Pierrefonds Dollard in Quebec and signed by over 69,000 Canadians. It was first put forward earlier this month by NDP uh, leader Thomas Mulclair and was subsequently defeated by some Conservative MPs. It was presented again this week and this time it passed unopposed. So that's a very positive story that most of you are aware that there was a petition being passed around. 69,000 people signed it, which I find very, very sad that as a Muslim community, I said we're close to 1 million in Canada, yet only 69,000 of us signed it, right? And you'll see that, uh, I don't think they, they, they'll show the names, but some of them allowed for their names to be showed, that you have a lot of non-Muslims signing it as well, and they're proud of signing this, right? So we have, as a Muslim community, a greater responsibility in going forth, but this is a positive story, that Alhamdulillah, at least, you know, Islamophobia is coming towards a point where it can be reported as a hate crime. That is a, a huge positive story that just happened yesterday. Now in terms of action points, we have a huge responsibility in education. And this education is at a personal level and at a communal level. On a personal level, we have an obligation to openly profess and represent our Islam. I want to share something scary with you that I believe this was after either the Belgium attacks or the Paris attacks, one of the two. There was a seven-year-old girl, her mother went on to Twitter, that her seven-year-old daughter came to her and asked her, Mommy, tomorrow should I go and tell my classmates that I'm not Muslim? 
in horror, because she was fearing the backlash. A seven-year-old was starting to think like this, right? Now, such backlash is very uh, vivid and, and, and valid in the United States in terms of what's happening. But this was such a huge awakening for me that the natural reaction when things are going south for the Muslims is for Muslims to distance themselves from Islam. So 9-11 happens and a wide variety of responses come about. Sisters start taking off their hijabs, brothers are shaving off their beards, names are being changed left, right and center, right? All these sorts of things are happening. Now while I understand safety is of the utmost importance, we're not looking at the bigger picture. That there's a sphere of sociology. And the more Islam is visible, the wider this sphere of acceptance is. But the more we hide our Islam, especially the visible aspects of it, the more this circle of sociological acceptance decreases. So meaning that if you have a society, and this is a hypothetical situation, where everyone is wearing niqab, in society it will become socially accepted, right? And it'll just be like a common everyday thing. And that's where hijab is right now. For the most part, when a sister wears hijab, it's commonly accepted, it's understood that is a religious uh, symbol, that she is a Muslim, she's identified as Muslim. And no one will bother looking at her twice for wearing a hijab, right? That is the sphere, the, the circle of social tolerance. Now imagine if all of the sisters took off their hijab and one or two sisters kept on wearing their hijab. What would that sphere look like? It decreases drastically and at those one or two sisters that are wearing hijab, they're like, oh my God, who is this strange person that we don't know? Why are they dressed differently? So that's what we don't understand that in the longer sphere of things, that if Muslims don't stay visibly identified, uh, identifiable, that sphere of acceptance actually decreases. So you're doing a disservice to yourself in the future, as well as the Muslim community, by changing your name and taking off your visibly apparent religious symbols, whether it be the beard or the hijab. Things will be difficult in the spur of the moment, but once you know, the heat cools down, everything goes back to normal. So when the heat is present, seek help from Allah, seek refuge in Allah, and seek His protection, but continue identifying yourself visibly as Muslim, because in the long term, that is where the greater protection and the greater need of the Muslim community is. So that's on an individual level. On an individual level as well, I was talking about how many of us actually interact with our non-Muslim counterparts. And the reality, I don't haven't done a survey of you, but I do believe it's not a lot of us. That a lot of us will not interact with them on a personal level outside of school and work. And I believe as a Muslim in this day and age, it is not sufficient to restrict those relationships just to school and work. You have to uh, socialize with them and that when time for salah comes, don't feel shy, hey, my religion says I need to go and pray. So you go and pray, right? And this is a way of educating people about what Islam is all about. That people are very respectful, people are very accepting. We have to give them a chance to show their respect and show their acceptance by presenting who we are, right? I go to a, a local gym in, in the Northwest called Vivo. And, you know, especially in the wintertime, I try to go there early in the morning. That's the first thing in the morning. And now that as Fajr is getting later and later, like sometimes I'll be in the gym even before Fajr starts. So Fajr time starts and it's like, man, I need to pray Fajr. So when it's extremely quiet, there's actually a wall climbing area that has the softest ground you'll ever like pray on. It's so soft that your feet sink into it. So if you know wall, rock climb, wall climbing, if you fall off, like literally you're falling on like cushion. That's what it's like. And praying salah there is absolutely amazing. When it gets really, really crowded in that area, in the gym upstairs, there's like a massive walls and then they have like yoga mats and some other mats where people do like yoga and stuff. I'll end up praying there if that area gets crowded. And on several occasions, people have come up and they're like, hey, really cool yoga, man. And I'm like, it's not yoga, that's my salah, right? <laughs> that happened twice, like, just to give you a great picture. But constantly, you know, people are staring as they're walking by, like, what's this guy doing? And it creates great conversation, right? So these are things that we shouldn't be shy and ashamed of praying in public. In fact, these are things that we should be proud of, that we take time out of our day to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So interact with people, give people a chance to question, give people a chance to learn on a very personal level. And extend invitations, right? There's nothing wrong with inviting non-Muslims to your house and letting them eat your food and experience what your lifestyle is like. Let them see that you're not very different from them, except in 
concepts of morality except in, in spirituality and that's a good chance to, to, to create conversation you know today I was at a nikah where uh, a Latino brother was getting married to a Pakistani sister and a lot of non-Muslims were present over there and there were a lot of questions that were asked you know why are men and women segregated in the mosque you know what is the significance of the nikah and things like that so again when you invite them to these functions they want to come they want to experience it and it's a great opportunity to educate so on a personal level, we need to take a step up our game. Number two is in terms of lobbying. We need to get more involved with our MPs, with our local representatives, with our federal representatives, and just talk to them about Muslim issues. Like, we need to take this very seriously. I'm not kidding. Like, we, it gets mentioned a lot, but how many of us will interact with our local electives? This is something you need to take seriously. If you have a concern on your mind, reach out to your local MP, reach out to your local representative and talk about the issues on your mind. They are there to represent you. They are there to represent you. I can't emphasize that enough. And if you don't speak up for your own rights and talk about the things that are bothering you, someone else will do it on your behalf or it'll get completely ignored. So you as a citizen, you as a civilian, have that obligation to reach out to them. Particularly with you know, certain members of the conservative party, like living in Alberta, they're uh, a lot more popular than they are in other provinces. It's those ones in particular that you re need to reach out to. Like, some of them promote active hatred towards Muslims and Islam, actively, right? So those individuals, we need to go and speak to them and say, hey, what's the actual problem? Right? Did you have a bad incident with Muslims? What is it that's bothering you about the Muslim community? What can we do to solve it? Right? These are the type of discussions you want to have with them and show them another side to Islam. Show them another side to Islam. Likewise, in terms of Muslim sensitivities, right? there's a huge culture now in pretty much every industry that they are educating people about sensitivities. Whether it be sexism, whether it be sensitivity towards the LGBT community, whether it be sensitivities about you know, dietary restrictions, or even faith restrictions, right? One of the things that I'm really proud of, of the IISC for, is that every six months, we will invite the law enforcement, the fire brigade, the EMS, RCMP members, they will come to this very musallah, and they will learn about Islam and the things that they have to be conscious of when they're interacting with the Muslim community members, right? So in your workplace, speak to your HR department and say, hey, you know, is it possible to conduct a Muslim sensitivity training, right? And this is something great that, you know, a lot of major companies are lobbying for. So this is something too that you can do on a personal level as well. Number three, in terms of education. After these attacks, something that in Calgary, that something positive that we saw, both the Northwest Musallah and the Queensland Musallah, they're hosting open houses for their masajid. They come and have dialogue with the Muslim community, raise your concerns and talk about what's on your mind, and they're welcoming people in. Now, the unfortunate thing is we have to wait till we get attacked to host these sort of things. These sort of things we should be having on a regular basis and inviting the non-Muslim community to learn about Islam, right? And one of the things that will get them through the door guaranteed, having free ethnic food. They love free ethnic food. Grab some shawarmas, grab some, you know, uh, fatair, and, and you're good to go. You don't even have to have a big budget. Have someone present, have some posters, have some, you know, uh, billboards, and you're really good to go. Now, the last thing I want to conclude with is that we're coming up with this idea, uh, Sister Saima Jamal is, is orchestrating it, of putting up posters across the city. So just like there were posters against Islam, there are posters going to be put up across the city that talk about Muslims. That Muslims you know, brought algebra, they brought coffee, and they brought something else. And we're like, we're sorry we bought the algebra, but we hope you're enjoying the coffee. Like these sort of things are like very positive signs. So there's like a series of like six posters that we're planning on putting up. Inshallah, we will be collecting funds to print these posters and have volunteers put them up, inshallah. So just keep that in mind. And this is one of the positive things that is going to be coming out of this discussion. So now I've done my piece, inshallah. We have until 8.30 to hear what are your thoughts on this topic and what you think are some of the action points that we need to be taking. We have a mic that will be passed around, inshallah. So anyone that has comments or questions, inshallah, we will address them. Again, as a reminder, until 8.30 and 8.30, we have to conclude. So who wants to be the first person to comment or question? Uncle? Okay, can we get one of our young brothers to give the mic? There we go. I'm just behind you. Ali is very young, mashallah. Ali is very young. 
Thank you, Sheikh. No problem. Yeah, very, very nice uh, top uh, discussion started. I, I have few comments. Of course, from my own experiences and uh, before that, two from the community of our own community here in Calgary. Yes, and they are negative, as you said. One is there is a there is a sect of Muslims here in Calgary, and. Their Imam is very famous. All the time you can see him on the television. He uh, just to give you a warning in advance, please don't mention any no, names. No, I, I'm not, not of the sect nor of the individual, inshallah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to tell you the name. The people can guess it. So at the, at the uh, floor of uh, Senate, I think, the guy told them that we are the real representative of Muslims. We are not terrorists. Right. The other organizations, and he mentioned specifically, Al Qaeda and Al Maghrib. Yes. They are the terrorists. Right. And ban them here in Canada. Right. But government didn't have uh, any clue to ban them, so then the, the matter didn't advance. Right. So this is one example, because it was the floor of the uh, Senate. Right. They they could not be sued. So this was one incidence, and the second is when a Nikabi sister catch catch hold of the media. He came, he came all the way and talked about the Nikab and all that Islam during the election period, and you can see the results. They have result. So you are right that if the media is being pumped by by other sect of people, those are working against Islam. Why we should also catch hold of the media and do something. Right. So this is two, two examples which our own community has done something harmful and to have the positive effects. Excellent. And you said it's rightly said that uh, if we hang up, uh, we, if, if we hang with the with the uh, non-Muslims. Then definitely they are going to change their views as well. Of course. I was at Queen's University, and then they were inviting me in every event, even when they, their parties, you know, mostly they are drinking there. Only once in the initial I said to them that if you are inviting, I'm not going to drink. If it is acceptable, then I'm coming. Right. And after that, they never said a word during the party. They were inviting me. I was going there. I was drinking maybe a juice. If they were, they were drinking beer, I was drinking apple juice. If they were drinking wine, then I was drinking, you know, something, a Cambridge juice or something. Right. So nobody was asking me to drink, and they were very, very happy to have me there. Right. So similarly, people can find out the way how to how to hang with them and have a good time. Sam, just before you begin, I just want to make a quick comment on what we're saying. You know, in the two things that you mentioned, one of the biggest lessons that I'm learning is that we have to give people a chance. No, keep this with you, keep this with you, keep this with you. That we have to give people a chance. And in the first incident that you mentioned with the Senate, the government and law enforcement agencies are not stupid, right? As many mistakes as they'll make, they're not stupid. And they'll realize that a lot of times we will use sectarianism and we will use theological points to discredit our own community members. In the initial phases, it might have an effect, but in the long term, they realize that this is just internal propaganda. And this happened in both of the incidents. That one, nothing happened to the two institutes that were mentioned. And number two, Harper eventually got, got removed himself. But Jazakallah khair for, for sharing that. Sam, go ahead. And we'll come to you, inshallah. Uh, thank you, Sheikh. Uh, I feel sense of relief when you mentioned that between 2000 and 2009, we only, they spent $42 million only in Islamophobia. For some reason, I thought, I was thinking like it's a lot, lot more. But keep in mind that this is like where we could trace the money. That's and right. there are many incidents where you can't trace the money and you don't know what's happening exactly. Right. So, I think because the reason I'm saying this is because we've been hearing about it for a long, long time, especially those, I mean, even back before 2001, Right. We hear it on the media all the time, especially after midnight, you hear all this uh, TV uh, shows and stuff. So anyway, I think I would just want to make a point that I do believe our main uh, 
the main contributor to the Islamophobia, in my opinion, is our actions in the field, our action in real life. I think as a society, as a community, as a Muslims, as individuals, as organization, as uh, faith institutions, and all levels, we are not doing our job. I mean, the other side, they could do whatever they want to do. They can say whatever they want to say, but we are not doing, I don't want to use the word nothing, but almost close to nothing. I agree with you. That's very true. Uh, one thing that I was reflecting upon this, and Sam, if you can just pass it to the brother behind you. And then after this brother, we're going to go to our brother over here. Then we'll go to the sisters, inshallah. Um, when it comes to the Muslim community, there, there's two things that we need to, to be conscious of. One is the proactive effort that you're talking about over here. But uh, a lot of the times, one of the things that I feel sad about the most is in terms of our own spokespeople. So when you look at the vast majority of spokespeople, and this is just a reflection of what uncle was saying, is that we have the, the worst spokespeople on behalf of the Muslim community. Like you look at Ayan Hirsi, she considers herself an Islamic expert, and it's like the nonsense that comes out of her mouth is just ridiculous, absolutely uh, you know, crazy. Yet she's speaking on behalf of Islam. Now, obviously, I believe she's trying to monetize that situation, but we're also learning that if we don't fill that vacuum, someone else is going to fill that space. So you're completely right that we love to complain, but we don't want to do anything about it. And I'm hoping that from this discussion, we can bring about action points, inshallah. Eric, go ahead, please. Um, I get the fact that uh, the Islamophobia is like a big industry, but like as a white convert, I deal with a lot of Muslims and they don't really realize that I'm Muslim. And I see behavior that is really embarrassing. Um, I've had co-workers ask me, why are, why are Muslims so ignorant and rude in Ramadan? Like for example, the Qunzan Musalla. Right. I know people who live in that community and like Muslims would go for Tarawih and before they go, they're swearing at all the, all, all the Canadians because they tell them not to park that in that particular way. Right. Or um, about uh, two years ago, I was coming out of my building, and there was a Muslim family, and their daughter and their daughter was actually she actually almost broke, shattered the glass on the door of the building, and I asked them to, um, you know, why are you doing this? And they said, this we don't care, so not we don't live here, you know. Um, I've had so. I know so many non so, so many non-Muslims that have had so much negative experience with Muslims in Calgary, and like I can give you so many examples, and even my own self, where people just because my name is Eric, they automatically think I'm just you know whatever, and then it's just like and then so they they'll behave in a different way. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting like. I see people play the victim card all the time, and it's, but then at the same time, I also see that they're not, they, the way they interact in society is really messed up. Of course. <laughs> and I'll be honest, um, it's just the um, way people will behave. I mean, even in this masala, I mean, I remember what, 2000, 2006, we were here for uh, a course in the Sira and a fight broke out in front because of the way people were parking. And how many times that happened in Friday, on Friday here. Yeah. And so, yes, like, it's very unfortunate that the Queensland was vandalized, but honestly, I wasn't surprised from my own, co from my own uh, colleagues that I've worked with who have very, who's, who have, where they actually have no problem with Muslims, except that they just don't know. They, 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 they ask me, like, why are they so rude? Why are they, I mean, you guys are going to pray, and you guys are fasting all day, and then, and then like, why? And then he was actually, like, telling me to all these, you know, four-letter words. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I look, just, these are valid concerns. I and, just and really, th sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, please continue. I just really think that I understand that the industry is very lucrative, and I get that, but like, as a silent observer, I do see a lot of things, and it's like, I it's just I have to sh I have to shake my head a lot of times because it's just like the stuff that you'll see, like, um, you know, uh, 
whether it's driving or you know or going to the mall or you know just like like I'll give you an example on um, uh, one of um, one of my relatives little actually like I, I I don't mean to cut you off but you've given like a lot of examples and like each example that you're giving is like a further dagger in the heart <laughs> but I understand there's a lot of but problems. It's reality though. no I agree with you it is reality and we have a lot of work to do. But like I said, our agenda right now are what are positive action points that we can take. Like we're aware of the problems and I feel really but bad I that as a, as a convert, you've had like even the worser end of the stick that you get slack from the non-Muslim community and you get even slack from the Muslim community. But it's like, okay, what can we do now to change this? Well, I think realizing that um, stop always playing the victim card. And that's and a very valid point. Uh, just to, to, to talk about this, Everyone's telling a story, and if everyone's playing the victim card, who's going to be the hero, right? A time needs to come where the victim turns into the hero. That's what every great story has. And I think you're right that we have played the victim card long enough, and now it's time to become the hero of our story. We want to figure out how to do that, inshallah. But please continue. Well, I, can, I guess that I can continue giving more of these kind of examples that I've seen. And Let's talk about positive things. Then. What, okay. What's something positive that you think we can do as a community to change like I'll that? give you an example. Just give like me one solid example. At work, channel. like you talking about Salah. So all my co-workers, like I, I was given my own office just because, I, just because I pray. Right. Whereas a lot of Muslims are afraid to go pray. Right. Okay. Um, um, I was given my own office and I have... I have two hours for lunch on Friday, I, right. or whatever I need. Make it up. Um, uh, my my kids is not. She, she works for an organization here in Calgary. They wouldn't let her go pray. Right. I let her deal with it for a few weeks, and I said. And then after a few weeks of her not being success, successful, I wrote a letter to her manager within within about 72 hours. They issued her a written apology. And they said she can pray anytime she wants. Alhamdulillah, that's a great positive story. So stand up for yourself. So your you have to stand up for yourself, but you also have to, at the same time, know, know your rights, know the limitation of your rights, and then stop playing like, oh my God, everyone's up to hurt, to hurt because I'm a Muslim. Of course. No, great points, man. Jazakallah khair. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. for this beautiful talk. And... Um, my points, I think one of the things we can do is try to prepare younger Muslims, especially that are in the community, for media. Of and course. it doesn't have to be just Islamic channel. Right. It's just whether it's preparing Muslims to take more of a role in a, a TV show or actually a Muslim, all the Muslim community comes together to take a show up in an important TV show. I know there's the Islamophobia, other side of people stopping any kind of Islamic show, but to put either people and to get more of the role models on TV, whether it's NBA stars, whether it's uh, great scholars, all different types of uh, the Muslim community to show up. So maybe if you can divide it into three levels. If we can have a, like someone like Al-Maghrib or any of the institutions come in and instead of just doing a course on Sira about what the ethics of Islam and media is so that the younger, whether male or female, know sort of what the boundaries are so to work from there. That is one of the things and it's, it, as a person going through university, I never saw any advice on media, so I actually thought it was just useless <laughs> the whole time growing up. Right. Until I grew up and I knew I was getting brainwashed by the same media that we had no influence on. Right. But it's mainly a presence within the younger crowds that are looking for careers that might have the talent, of course, but don't have the base. The second part is, I guess, the TV shows. We might not be the main people on the show, but it could be people that could help influence, bring more conservative views or something like that. It doesn't right. have to be a Muslim necessarily. It could be a mix of Muslim and non-Muslim. Right. So that it, we can put role models out there so the community can change. I agree to Eric's point. Of course, we have a lot of negative, but this can be really influenced from seeing more positive role models. Right. And the third one, of course, is if there can be a, a, an Islamic TV that is accessible. I know there are a few ones online, but none of them are mainstream that could of help course. in the media so maybe a three-tier plan perfect so let me comment on, on some stuff <clears throat> number one in terms of media training we had media training by nccm like two years ago or three years ago 
uh, one year ago? Was it last? No, no, they, that was the fundraiser last year. But they actually came for training at Akram Juma, I think two or three years ago. And literally we were begging people to come out. Like begging people, please come out get media training. Yeah. We got 20 people to show up. And of those 20 people, I have no idea where 18 of them went. <laughs> so that's one element of it. So to do what you're saying, inshallah, we have Sister Amira coming back to Calgary on, in March 18th for the One Ummah Conference. A day before or day after, I will take the initiative of organizing the, the media training. I want you to take the initiative of gathering the people together sure. and getting them to come, inshallah. Sure. Number two, and three combined, we have two problems in the Muslim community. One, we lack creativity from within. So any like sort of shows we create are extremely dull and boring. And it's like, why would I ever watch this? And then number two <coughs> is that we love shaming our own people. <coughs> Excuse me. So shows like Little Mosque on the Prairie, you know, it was a great concept, but everyone started criticizing the creator. Oh, she's too liberal. She's a feminist. She's pushing her own agenda. And it's like shaming or X, Y, Z, rather than looking at the positive effect that something like Little Mosque on the Prairie is bringing. Now, I'll conclude with one last point. We don't realize it yet, but there are a lot more visible Muslims on TV now. So, um, I was watching the, the show with Trevor Noah. What's it called? The Daily Show? Do you guys know? Yeah, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Then Russell Simmons on. Russell Simmons, this is last week. And he's talking about how Islamophobia is real and he's fighting Islamophobia as a non-Muslim. A prime time show with like a huge viewer audience and he's there talking about countering Islamophobia. There's another TV show called Convicted and the, the, the premise of the show is it, it looks into crimes that have happened and were they right or wrong in terms of the court case, how it went down. And I was like, uh, it was a Muslim incident and there was a bomb in it. And I'm like, this is going to be another terrorist thing. Muslims are getting labeled as terrorists. What happened was, it was a bomb that blew up in the Imam's office that killed the Imam and three other people. So originally it was portrayed as an Islamophobic crime, which brought about a huge amount of awareness. But the end of the show, it was the Imam's wife that actually killed him. <laughs> but the point being, is that they're visible Muslims. Like this guy had a kufi on the saying, inshallah and mashallah and assalamu alaikum. This is on NBC, man. And I was like really excited when I was seeing this. It was sad that the Imam's wife killed him at the end. But I was like, hey, at least there's awareness for Islamophobia. And in multiple other shows on ABC, you will see women wearing hijab. So it's slowly but surely trickling in. But I love the idea of Muslims creating their own media and creating their own stories. But I think we need to empower people to do that. Like, when we look at the jobs that we want the, our, our future generations to have, we still limit it to accounting, engineering, doctors. Maybe, you know, if you can become a doctor, become a pharmacist or a dentist. Like, no one wants to get into media. You're shunned if you do it. No one wants to get into creativity because you're shunned for doing that. So I think we need to create the level of tolerance within the community in order for that to happen. But I love your points. Jazakallah khair. So we're going to pass it on to the sisters now, inshallah. And we're going to give them an equal amount of time. So the brothers took 18 minutes and we'll give the sisters 18 minutes as well, which means we will be praying Isha late. So people that are here for Isha, 8.40 is inshallah is the new time. So Simon, please go ahead. Assalamu alaikum. Wa I just wanted to respond a little bit to what Eric was saying. Um, I know that we have a lot of faults and um, as Muslims, I know that um, we hold ourselves to a higher standard, maybe because uh, not just um, the fact that as human beings we should be holding ourselves to a higher standard, but God wants us to be held at a higher standard. So there's that. It's almost like a double-edged sword. In one point, we expect ourselves to be much better human beings, but on the other hand, I sit and wonder why do I have to be a much better human being? Why not? a Hindu or a Sikh or a Christian or uh, an agnostic, you know. Um, you know, any one of those person could have behaved like that, but why as a Muslim am I always held at a higher standard? So that's where questions comes in my mind. Um, moving on to the other things, um, for a whole decade, um, I was uh, talking about how the media keeps on twisting our story. Uh, for the last two years, uh, I felt like we almost got a, a secret formula on how to almost manipulate the media to a way to um, fight Islamophobia, to show the good side of Muslims. Right. Uh, 
for the last one year, a lot of you know that we, we have been working on the Syrian Refugee Support Group. And uh, to whatever extent people see us work, you know, myself and Sam Namora, they see us almost as Sam and Sam are working this, 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 this. But then um, when they see us, uh, they don't really understand that we are Muslims. A lot of them don't. Um, they just see us as our first names, which is almost uh, not always right away visible with the Muslim identity. Right. And, uh, but the thing is, they all know, when they know us a little bit even personally, that we are Muslims. So through this action, by converting our religious obligation to a full-fledged action in the community, and by showing these stories to the media that, you know, this is what Muslims are really about, that's how we have been changing the narrative. And not just by doing that, we have to be present constantly on all the other issues that are happening around the city. Whether it is indigenous issues, or environmental issues, or even LGBTQ issues. If we are not there in the table talking and being part of the discussion, then others of those tables won't come to your side to defend you. Right. So you have to be always present in everything. You know, whether it's the wilders carrying the, you know, uh, whole idea of I love the oil sands, I love the environmentalists and the aboriginals telling that, you know, we need to water his life like you see what's happening in Dakota right now. We have to be as Muslims in all those places. And that's the only way we can actually uh, have outsiders always there from those table come to you and your defense as well. Of Thank course. you. Thank you so much. Um, I'll go to you next. I'm just going to quickly comment on, on what Simon was saying. So in terms of point number two, in terms of uh, Simon called man almost manipulating the media, I actually like that term, that it's very important that relationships be built. You know, one of the spokespersons of Muslims in Canada, Dr. Shahina Siddiqui, she shared a very similar sentiment. I was on a panel with her a couple of months back, and she said that any time there's an issue on the Muslim community, the media naturally contacts her. And I was like, how did you get to that phase? And she was like, by making myself available, right? That anytime they called, I would respond to them. And now when I need a story out there, I call them up and they're actually willing to report that story because it comes with a give and take relationship. The third thing that Simon mentioned is in terms of standing up for all causes. For those of you that attended our discussion on uh, should Muslims be interviewing with Playboy, this is something that we discussed that night. That as Muslims, we need to understand our boundaries of cooperation and I was uh, saying that as Muslims, we have to stand up for anti-discrimination against everyone, right? Regardless of orientation, ethnicity, religion, we have to take that stance. In order for our rights to be descended, we have to take that stance. But at the same time, we should not be compromising on our morality. We stand up for the rights as you know, practicing Muslims that, are, that have our code of morality, and we stick to it. So these are our very valid points, Simon. Jazakallah for sharing that. Sister Tox, go ahead. Um, just a couple of comments, and then I, I do have a question at the end that I really want you to answer. Sure. Um, the first is an announcement. Um, the details hasn't come out yet, but on January 19th, inshallah, at the Knox United Church downtown, um, Tariq Ramadan is coming, um, and the Canadian Justice for Peace in the Middle East is actually sponsoring him on a cross-Canada tour to speak about Islamophobia. So I believe the topic is Islamophobia, race, and peace, and it's quite complicated. And we're hoping, inshallah, to be able to get about a thousand people fill, to fill the church. And relating to that, one of the reactions we got um, as a Muslim organization partnering with the CJMPE is, Astaghfirullah, you're doing it in a church? All right. And my first answer to that was, First of all, it's the only place in the city of Calgary that can accommodate at least a thousand people. And second of all, who gives a crap if we're doing it in a church? Excuse my language, I know I'm in a musallah. But if we start victimizing ourselves as Muslims, why do we care the venue of a lecture that's talking about the problems that we're facing as Muslims. Right. But anyway, the details are coming, inshallah, so please get your uh, $15 ready um, for that. And um, we don't want the place to be filled with only non-Muslims. We do want some Muslims there. Of course. My second comment is just something that Eric said that actually uh, triggered me. In my workplace, when we built our campus, um, 
I went to the, the architects and I said, we need a space for Muslims to pray. Right. And they said, well, if we provide a space for you, then we have to provide a space for all the other people. And I asked them a question. I said, <coughs> how many other faiths have an obligation five times a day to pray? Right. Because for some of us that work long hours, we are literally playing, praying Fajrita Isha in the office. Right. And they said to me, oh, actually, yeah, that's a good point. Um, nobody else has come to us. So I said, I think that right there is your answer. Right. We need a space, and we're hoping that we can influence the way the space is built. Right. And alhamdulillah, we were able to get that. Alhamdulillah. Um, and we got the space, and we got everything we wanted. We got a wudu room. We got all that. But alhamdulillah, things are happening out there. I think we just need to explain to people the need for us. And like Saima said, um, it is... It is part of our faith, and we need to make sure that we're not compromising our moral obligations. Now, my third point, which is actually a personal experience and a question. Um, I was praying Salah one time in a gym, and one of the other volunteers walked in, and he saw me, and he was shocked, because apparently he didn't know what Muslims were doing, because this is in South America. Right. And he called the cops. Uh -huh. So here I am praying with two men and a police officer who doesn't speak a word of English, and my Portuguese is not the greatest, and he called the cops. Right. My initial reaction was to pull the victim card. But then I thought, these people are actually ignorant of the things that we do as Muslims. Right. Right. How do I educate them? What do I say to them? Um, he went on and on, oh, so you can't do this, and blah, 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 blah. So that brings me to my question is, how, as Muslims, when we have things like that happen to us, how do we react? Because it's either we fight or we flight. Right. When we fight, then we're terrorists. When we fly, then we're lazy. So what do we do? And what does the Sunnah teach us about the things that are happening to us as Muslims? And what do we do to that? Excellent question. So let me start off by addressing point number one. So the event that you're talking about, can you actually privately email me? And let me know how myself as an individual can invo get involved in that event. And then I can see if I can get other organizations involved as well. And we will try to bring as many Muslims as we can to that event. And it's very sad that uh, Muslims are condemning this event because it's at a church. That shouldn't be happening. In fact, we should be happy that our, our Christian counterparts are willing to uh, accommodate this event. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Number two, um, in terms of prayer spaces, that is a, a big issue everywhere. And one of the projects that I'm working on that I'm calling the community to get involved on is that if you look at Market Mall and Cross Iron Mall, um, there's lots of Muslims that actually go there, like visible Muslims that are actually there. Yet in terms of official prayer spaces, there's none actually there. With Market Mall, we spoke to the, to the administration and they're like, yeah, there's a space in front of the security guard's office that's empty. No one barely goes there. You guys can pray over there. But at the end of the day, it's still like a, a hallway. It's not like a, a separate room. And then at Cross Iron Mills, they completely shut us down. They're like, we have no space altogether. So one of the things I would like to see is that if someone can take the initiative of running this project, that we want to try to get a prayer space. And what Sister Tokes mentioned is a very valuable point, that we look for equity and not equality. Equality means that we create a prayer space for all faiths, right? And because prayer is important in, in all faiths. But in reality, we don't see other faith members actually coming to those spaces. That is the reality. So the equity part is, most of you must have seen that picture of a father, a son, and like a little child attending a baseball game. Equality would necessitate that they each got one box to be able to see the baseball game. But equity necessitates that the youngest child got two boxes, the middle child got one, and the father got none, because he could already naturally see it. So same thing, when we're looking for our prayer spaces, that's what you need to try to push, that yes, it should be a predominantly Muslim prayer space, because Muslims are the ones that pray five times a day, but we're open to the idea of sharing that prayer space with others. And that's something we should actively be engaging. Now the third and last question, that's a, a, like literally a, a talk within of itself talking about how Islamophobia did take place during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu in medium in, in many formats and how the Prophet Sallallahu countered it. Now, this scenario that's been put forth that if you fight, you're a terrorist and if you fight, you're, you're being too passive. I always believe there's a, a middle ground and that there's always a time and place to educate. So in this sort of situation where the cops are called and there's a language barrier, I don't think it makes sense to try to educate in broken English. 
Because sometimes you'll do more damage than you're actually doing good. But in the long run, I would say, try to get someone's email address and say, hey, here's a whole bunch of literature on Islam in Portuguese. In that sort of situation, that's what I think might have been the ideal case scenario. But in my discussion, what I want to push the most is education and lobbying. And I think that is the proactive approach that in this day and age needs to take place. Right? Demonstrations are great. Writing to media is great. Writing to your government representatives is great. And there are multiple steps that can be taken. But at the height of confrontation, people don't want to learn. And the only thing they know at that time is fight. So I think at that time, it's not best to address people. Let people cool down, then it's a good opportunity to educate. And in terms of flight, the only time you want to flight from a situation is if there's danger. If there's danger involved, you don't have to stand up for your rights. Call the police at that time, let them know what's happening, and let them take care of it. And the time to educate will come at a later on date. It's a very simplistic answer, but I would like to thank you for your question. Inshallah, that inspires us for another great discussion with the community, analyzing how the Prophet ﷺ addressed Islamophobia and what are the steps that he took in, in encountering it. So Jazakallah khair for that. I want to thank all of you for uh, attending tonight. It was a, a phenomenal discussion, definitely a lot learned. Um, just so that you know, I have a list of resources that uh, I got from NCCM. I'm going to leave them over here. You guys can come and take a picture of it if you like. Actually, we're going to be praying, so it'll be over here. Uh, you guys can come and take a picture of it if you like. Uh, for the sisters, just email me and I'll uh, send you the resources by email. My email address is navaid at IISC.ca, N-A-V-A-I-D at IISC.ca. Same thing for the brothers, if you want them emailed to you, just email me and I'll send you these resources. Again, Jazakum Khairan for attending tonight. It was great to see all of you and for your positive feedback. And I'm always looking for more ideas for community discussion. So we've had two so far. One was should Muslims be intervening with Playboy? This one was on Islamophobia. Um, a third one that's going to be coming up is on how to interact with uh, homosexuality uh, within the context of Islam and dealing with homosexual community members. That's going to be coming up in uh, a couple of weeks time or a couple of months possibly. But in the meantime, any ideas that you have that you think will good, be good community discussion and you have something to say about, please email me inshallah. I'd love to incorporate those ideas. We'll conclude with that. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa ant. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.